The following is a presentation of WYM, Westminster Youth Ministry. We are always telling ourselves lies. Satan wants us to believe these various lies about God and about his scriptures. In this series called 12 Lies, we're going to look at some of those lies and see how the scriptures speak into them. We hope you enjoy. Thank you all for coming on. Let's jump in here. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for these students and their desire to learn and be in community, even though we can't be together tonight, Lord. We do thank you for the time that we spent at the park last week, and it was a lot of fun and enjoyed being around each other. But as we jump back into studying your word tonight, I do pray that you would be with us and watch over us and help us to discern what is good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be starting a 12-week series on looking at the lies that Satan tells us. So I'm calling it 12 lies. We're going to look at the lies that we tell ourselves and the lies that Satan tries to tell us. And we're going to look at how the scriptures speak into those things. So tonight, we're going to look at this lie that I'm too sinful for God to love me. I've quoted this before, but it's one of my favorite quotes. It's by a guy named Jerry Bridges. And he says, our worst days are never so bad that we're beyond the reach of God's grace. And our best days are never so good that we are beyond the need of God's grace. That reminds us that we're never out of God's hands. We're never out of God's reach. And we're never out of the reach of his love. But shame and guilt are always going to make us feel like we are. And that's how Satan tries to lie to us. So what is the one thing, and you don't have to answer this out loud, but what is the one thing that always makes you feel like God will never forgive you for. Maybe it's something in your past. Maybe it's something that you continue to struggle with. Whatever it is, Satan wants you to believe the lie that whatever that struggle is or whatever that sin was, it's too much for God to cover. But what the Bible is going to teach us and what we're going to look at tonight is that we're never beyond the reach of God's grace. So let's turn to Romans chapter 3. And if you were with us last year for our emotion study, some of this is going to be a little bit of overlap because we're going to be talking a lot about shame and guilt tonight. But we're going to spend a little bit more time looking at how that interacts with this particular lie. So let's read Romans 3. Who would like to read verse 10 and who would like to read verses 23? Um, I can read verse 10. Okay. Creed, will you do 23 for me? Okay. Y'all can just read it back to back. So, Hannah, you go ahead and then Creed. Okay. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. For all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, what is Paul telling us here in this chapter? What does the Bible have to tell us here? That no one is righteous. Yeah, so the, clearly there's a standard that has been set and nobody is living up to it, right? So there is a standard. And we are never going to be able to live up to it. So here we have our guilt. Okay. And I want you to, to be able to separate these two ideas of guilt and shame tonight because guilt isn't necessarily a bad thing. It can turn into a bad thing, but it's not necessarily a bad thing because it's true. Objectively, we are guilty, right? Okay. Part of our understanding of scripture and part of our understanding of the way that we view theology is that we have an inability to make ourselves not guilty. So who did I ask to read Hebrews 9? Was that Gideon? Go ahead, Gideon. 22? Yes, sir. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Okay, so we have 
our understanding of guilt, which we are guilty. And then we have this understanding that sacrifice was necessary for the forgiveness of sins. And what do we know about that? We cannot pay that sacrifice for ourselves. And here's where shame comes in. One writer says this, and this is one of my favorite writers, Ed Welch. He says, guilt says I've done something wrong, but shame communicates that you don't belong. Shame is when Satan takes our guilt and he uses it to his advantage. He seeks to make it feel like if other people found out what you're struggling with or what your sin is, then you would be unacceptable in their eyes. In other words, shame is going to always seek to hide and to go into the dark. So how do guilt and shame work together? When guilt and shame become distorted, they can be really, really damaging to ourselves. When guilt's distorted, uh, we feel this self-condemnation. We are always condemning ourselves. We're always reminding us of our guilt without the other side of that, which is the forgiveness of Christ, which we'll see here in just a minute. But we beat ourselves down with that guilt. And when shame is distorted, it becomes this self-loathing. Okay? If we envelop ourselves in both of our shame and our guilt, it's always going to lead us to think that not only are we bad, but that we're more damaged than everybody else, and God does not love us. So both of these things are going to speak into that lie, that I'm too sinful for God to love me. This lie takes guilt, which should be used as kind of a marker for telling us when we're acting against God or our neighbors. And it tells us that we failed to do so. And not only that, it uses shame as a means to put us into a hole that we can never get ourselves out of. And that's exactly where Satan wants us. He wants us stuck right there. But the good news is that we aren't stuck there. We just think we are, right? We beat ourselves up. We say, you know, there's no way that God can forgive me this time. And Satan wants us to camp out there as long as possible. But the good news is that Jesus has given us that way out. He has shown us how we can turn to him to be freed from that shame and that guilt. So let's spend some time looking at Romans chapter 8. This is where we're going to spend most of our time tonight. Caleb, I think I asked you to read the first five verses. Jack, you read 6 to 11. So let's go ahead and read that. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do before it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Thank you. Y'all, I love this passage. I love Romans chapter 8. I specifically love these first 11 verses because here it shows us exactly how Christ answers this whole guilt and shame dynamic. I mean, he starts it right off the bat there in verse 1. 
There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he takes that shame and he says there is nothing to be ashamed of if you have Christ. And then he spends the next 10 verses unpacking that. So how does Jesus speak into our guilt here? Notice in verse 3, you know, Jesus recognizes our guilt and our inability. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh cannot do. Okay, The law was, was meant to not only help us to live righteously, but it was also meant to point us towards our need of a Savior. So we use the law as a guidepost of saying, here's where we fall short. Okay, And here's why we need somebody to pay for us. So God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, the law. We've fallen short, Romans 3.23. That's our guilt, okay? But he sees our guilt, and instead of choosing to not love us, he steps in, okay? Look at verse 4. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So, again, instead of looking at our guilt and staying there, he steps in and provides what we cannot provide for ourselves with the what was weakened by the flesh, what we could not do. So let me ask you this question. Would God send his son to pay for the guilt of people if he didn't love them? No. Okay. So that, that kind of answers this lie that we're talking about tonight. Okay. God would not send his son to die and pay for the guilt of people if he did not love them. And that's why Paul writes there in verse 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay. So how does Jesus work with our shame? Verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. And what Jesus is telling us right here is that when we say that we are too sinful for Jesus to love us, what we're doing right there is we're setting our minds on the flesh. Okay, We're trying to put the fulfillment of this impossible task on ourselves, uh, which, of course, we'll never get. So that's always going to lead us towards shame because, because we can never get it. But he tells us this in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So, yes, we are guilty. Yes, we have fallen short. But he loves us enough to give us his spirit. And in that love, he gives us the righteousness that we will never get if we set our minds on the flesh. He does this because Jesus loves us. Shame is not going to win. No condemnation means no guilt, no shame. doesn't mean that we will never feel guilt from our sins. I mean, because we're always going to be guilty of sin. But what it does mean is that that guilt is not going to drive us towards shame because we can rest and trust in what Jesus has done. Okay, doesn't mean that we'll never feel shame, but it does mean that we have a solution to that shame. Okay, It also doesn't mean that we don't need to grieve when we do sin because God still desires that we live unto him and live unto righteousness. But we receive his grace that speaks into the shame that tells us that God will never love us. And that's an incredibly powerful, powerful thing. So before we go to small groups, I just want to share something that happened a couple weeks ago with me and Addie. So Addie loves the show Mickey and the Roadster Racers, which is on Disney+. Plus. It's essentially Mickey Mouse and all of his friends, and they drive these fast cars. She effectively just calls it Mouse Racers at our house. And she has this little microphone. It's her Mouse Racers microphone. And it plays the theme song to this TV show. And I'll be honest, I've heard this song so many times that I've pretty much got it memorized. I'm not going to sing it for you. But I hear the song all the time, right? And one night when I was putting her to bed, she wanted her mouse racer microphone. And I reluctantly let her have this microphone because I knew that she was going to probably keep playing the song and I'd have to come and take it away from her because it was time to sleep. So if just imagine about one or two minutes went by, okay, 
before that song started playing. I let her do it once because maybe she accidentally hit the button. I don't know. But the second time, I was like, I've got to go in there and I've got to take this thing away or else she's never going to go to sleep. So I walked in there and, you know, I, I really had just intended to walk in there and, and just tell her, sweetheart, I've, I've got to take this away because it's time to go to bed. But when I walked in there, her face, if you can just imagine the most pouty, like sad, pathetic little child face, her frown literally just went. And it was the saddest looking face I've ever seen. And I, my heart just broke because in that moment, what was she feeling? She was feeling this incredible amount of shame. She looked like I had absolutely crushed and embarrassed her. And I'll never forget that because at that point, I didn't even care about the microphone. I was more concerned with the way that she was feeling. And she felt like me coming in there exposed something. And I was simply there to show her love. So we snuggled up in bed for a while. I simply held her and spoke into her ear, reminding her I loved her and that nothing changes that. And after a while, she began to settle down. And we put that microphone in the drawer where it would go to sleep. Because the microphone had to go to sleep, too, and then she would eventually fall asleep. I tell you that because it's kind of a picture of how we rest in Jesus, right? When Jesus comes in, he's going to expose some things in our lives. And instead of being afraid and shameful of it, he's inviting us in. We can rest in Christ's arms. Just as Addie settled down and dozed off in my arms, falling asleep. We rest and trust in what Jesus is doing for us because there is absolutely nothing that we can do that's going to make him say, I don't love you anymore. He wants us to know that he's like that parent holding a child. And even though they've done something wrong, instead of saying you're wrong and you need to feel guilty about it, he's saying it's okay. I have you. You are mine and there's nothing you can do that will ever change that love. Uh, guilt and shame want us to flee and isolate us from that relationship with him. They want us to feel like there's never a way home to God's love. But in Jesus, as one writer says, there's always the way home out of that shame and guilt. So God's answer to guilt and shame is by placing those on Jesus instead of you. He puts guilt and shame on him instead, and he wouldn't do that if he didn't love you. Uh, But he does take sin seriously, and we're going to look at that in our next lie. But he deals with it accordingly because he takes grace seriously as well. So let me end with just reading 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So is there anything that you can do or, or are you too sinful for God to love you? We're never too sinful for God to love us. Okay, We are guilty, but he has paid the price. He has given us his love. He has given us his righteousness. And that's why Paul so effectively writes, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So don't believe that lie. If this is something you struggle with, I feel you. You know, this is all something that we've all probably said to ourselves at some point in time, but rest and trust in what Christ says in his scriptures and and keep going back to Romans chapter eight, because this is such a beautiful picture of how God deals with this particular lie. So let me pray for us. I'll split you all into groups, and we'll uh, discuss this a little bit more. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word. And, Lord, I do thank you that even though Satan is a great deceiver and he's very good at his job, Lord, that uh, your truth is louder, your truth, it has the final word in our lives, Lord. And the fact that there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus is such a beautiful thing, Lord. I do pray that you would work in all of our hearts and remind us of that truth. And help us to see your love for what it is. And it is unconditional, Lord. You do 
hold us to a standard. We are guilty before you, but your mercy is great. And I pray that that would be true for each one of these students, Lord, that that would be a reality that they continually go back to, that even though they are sinful, they are never beyond your love. Help us to see that you forgive us of our sins. Help us to rest and trust in knowing that you are gracious. We pray all this in Christ's holy and wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an eye out for more audio upcoming from WYN.